All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm here, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hi. It's we good have, to be back with you, Travis. It's very good to be back. We should say again that we, if you hear construction sounds in the background, it's because construction is going on. Yes. So, And I like the way that you worded that as an explanation yeah. and not an apology, because we're not apologizing. No, we're excited. Because that, it's exciting. Yes. Our church building is being expanded. Or as I like to think about it, our home is being expanded to make room for more family, and That's I right. love that idea. And so, yes, our church building is going through a period of expansion and construction. And so over the next couple of episodes, you will definitely hear some, depending on how good our microphones are, I'm not That's sure, true. but... Uh, depending on our mics and what they pick up, you will probably hear the bulldozers that are right outside. If you're watching the video, you can see right outside that wall, there yeah. are big pieces of heavy machinery. So yes, and that's why. And at some point, they're going to blow a hole through one of these walls in this room. So then it'll be really loud. Yes. Our expansion project will become a reduction project to the studio. Our yeah. studio space will be reduced dramatically. And but. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on that. Yes. To expand, you got to reduce first. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sometimes we call it ad- addition by subtraction I in like the church that. world. So. I like that. But today we have a different topic. We yes. have a question from listener Neil Cook, uh, and he starts with some passages of Scripture to set the tone for his question. First is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then Neil says, in the first passage, we are told to fear and obey. In the second, we are told to love and obey. So the question I'd like for you to address, should we obey out of fear or out of love? I think the former, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. As an aside, as an earthly father, I much preferred my children obey me out of love, but even if they didn't, I still would have desired that they do things that I taught them. If it took fear of me to motivate them to do right, I think that's still better than disobedience. So thank you, Neil, for that, uh, that yeah. great question. Yeah, great question, Very Neil. Thoughtful. Thank you for submitting that. And as as you know, Travis, and as anybody who knows that probably listens to this podcast or definitely hears me preach, mm-hmm. because I do this I do this quite a bit when I'm preaching, I will say, is it this or this? And I'll kind of pause and everybody kind of chuckles because they know my answer is going to be yes. Mm-hmm. Not everything is is a binary. We call that a false dichotomy. Um, when, when, we, when something is presented to you as it ha- has to be this or this, um, then it's a false dichotomy. And we tend to think in false dichotomies, we, we tend to set things up as a binary and think we have to choose, is it this or this? And there's actually um, two, two things going on here in this question, and I appreciate Neil asking it because uh, I think a lot of us find ourselves asking these questions. Um, one is the idea of obedience and disobedience. Mm. Um, and so he says, you know, I would rather they do it out of fear um, than do it than, than to disobey. Um, and I think sometimes we tend to set that up as if the, it's, it's either obedience or disobedience, but right. the Bible actually gives us another category, and it's actually doing what we should do with the wrong motivation. And so it is possible to be displeasing to God, even though we're doing the right thing, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Jesus talks a lot about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when we do good in order to be seen by people, 
then it's not actually good. So even though we're doing what we were told to do, we're motivated by the wrong things. And so our father, yes, wants us to do the right thing, but he also wants us to have the right motivation. Um, And so motivation is just as important as the actual doing of the thing that we're told to do. Um, And so sometimes we, we tend to, to, just again separate those into the category of obedience or disobedience and sometimes we think to obey with the wrong motivation is better than disobedience but it's not so simple it's not just that binary between obedience and disobedience there's also the category of obedience with the wrong motivation and obedience with the wrong motivation is actually disobedience it's actually not being and doing what we're supposed to do um but but to get to his actual question um should we obey out of love or should we obey out of fear? And the answer again is yes, we should obey out of both. Um, and I, I think this would be really good for us to talk through on, on what do we mean by that? Uh, what do we mean first by fear? What do we mean by obeying out of fear? What does, um, what does Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14, um, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. What does Solomon mean uh, by fear? And that, that word fear in English it has a pretty limited range on what that means. And so when we say, I'm afraid of something or I fear something, it has a fairly limited range. The Hebrew word that we're actually translating into English, uh, the Hebrew word behind our English word, has a much broader uh, range of meaning. And I think we have to recognize that, that it has a broader range of meaning. In fact, it's not always translated as fear. Sometimes it's translated more in 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 the range of awesome, the word awesome. And a lot of times when you see the word awesome, it's related etymologically to the word fear in Hebrew. And so when we read passages uh, like Deuteronomy 7, here's a good example, Deuteronomy 7 verses 21 and 22, it says, you shall not be in dread of them. God is talking about the, the Canaanites. So when you go into the land, the, into the promised land, you're about to inherit. You shall not be in dread of the people, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. And that word awesome, again, is, is related to the word that in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is translated as fear. And so we might also translate it if, again, it's difficult because awesome and fear in English are not related words at all. Like those aren't related at all. Uh, They don't have a a related root, Uh, but in Hebrew they do. And so maybe fearsome, like your God is a fearsome God. But again, that that gives us the wrong impression about what what is fear. And and so in in Hebrew, uh, the idea of, of fear is simply about understanding who God is as it relates to God that God is powerful, God is awesome. It is, it is having an appreciation. Appreciation is a really good word, actually. It's an appreciation for his awe, for his awesomeness, uh, to be in awe of him. Now, that, there Maybe that's a good, a good way to think of it, mm-hmm. because the word awesome, it describes someone who is powerful. It describes some, someone who is great. And then the reaction that you have to that is awe. And so maybe, maybe when we're reading a passage like Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments. What we might also say is be in awe of God and keep his commandments, because awe and awesome are related words in English. Um, and so to be in awe of him, 
Now, again, that doesn't always capture what fear means because um, there is sometimes the sense of you better be afraid of what God, of how God might punish you if you disobey. Right. Um, but again, there's this is a broad, a broad term. Uh, Psalm 68, starting in verse 34. Uh, ascribe power to God, whose majesty to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. So when we say fear God, be in awe of God, what we're saying is recognize his power, recognize his strength, recognize his authority, recognize his sovereignty. And when you do recognize those things, you are in awe of him. You fear him. You tremble before him. Now, if you're being disobedient, then you tremble for a different reason than if you are being obedient. And if you're being obedient and you are in awe of him, you still tremble. You're still in awe of him. You're still reverent before him. Uh, but it's for it's for a different reason. Um, and I can't help but think about this because, as we said a second ago, there are big pieces of machinery outside this <laughs> wall. Like, literally feet from us, there are big pieces of machinery. And if I was to get up on that piece of machinery, I would be afraid, sorry, I didn't mean to like tremble in my voice when I said that. Um, I would be afraid to to drive that piece of machinery because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. But I think that even even an operator who understands it and who has been driving a piece of machinery like that for years, he still should have a certain amount of awe and respect um, and fear of that piece of machinery. In fact, he might even have a more healthy version of that because he knows what it's capable of, because he knows its strength and power even more than I do, who is, I have this fear out of ignorance. He has a fear out of knowledge and he knows just how powerful it is. And if you ever get to the point where you don't fear something that is powerful, when you don't have a proper awe and respect of that thing or that person, then you become apathetic, then you become lazy, then you become... um, not careful. You don't, I, one of the words I like, it's an archaic word, uh, but it's circumspect, to walk circumspectly, to be careful what you do. Mm. And if if you understand how powerful someone is or something is, then you walk circumspectly around a powerful thing. And so that's the way God is. God is powerful. And so we should be circumspect. We should, uh, we should be in awe of him. So similar to what you were saying about the machinery, that passed down in the Polly family is uh, some advice about cars, and that is uh, my my grandfather would always tell us, you know, you're driving a two-ton bullet, you know, missile, yeah. like, and if it's not, and you're the one controlling it, you know, you're going, you know, we get in a car, and we don't even think about the fact that we're going 70 miles an hour, and, you know, as I've found out a time or two, that's that's pretty scary when something goes wrong at, yeah. at, at high speeds. And um, so it's more like you said about like not taking it for granted. Yes. You know, it shouldn't maybe make you tremble to the point where you don't even uh, don't even get in the car, mm-hmm. um, but certainly not take it for granted and understand the power that you have when you're behind, you know, when you're behind the wheel, I think. Uh, and I think that idea of not taking it for granted, you think that's kind of wrapped up in in fear. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect way to put it. Not taking, not taking it for granted, um, not being lazy in, Mm. in your thoughts about it. Um, 
you would Jesus taught his disciples to pray he taught them to pray our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name mm. and and really even that statement is a request may your name be hallowed may your name be feared may your name be respected to hallow something is to know its power to know its strength to know its its grandeur um, and so we we have to be the kind of people who hallow the name of God who understand that when we pray to God, when we not just pray to God, but when we live our lives, we are living our lives in the presence of and before the throne of an all-powerful, all-knowing uh, God. And and so should we obey out of fear in that respect? Yes. Now we're going to talk about 1 John at the end of the podcast, so don't 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 leave yet, you know, because I, I realize that that John helps to to put sort of a contrast between obeying out of love and obeying out of fear. But I think, again, it depends on how you're defining fear. Mm. And if we're defining fear very broadly and saying, like Solomon said, that this is the beginning of wisdom and that and this is what we ought to do, this is the whole duty of man, is to fear God, in in the in the definition of fear that says that fear is being in awe of him, having a reverence and respect and hallowing his name, then yes, we should always obey out of that sense of out of that sense of fear. And so yes, that should motivate it should motivate our obedience. Um, but but then we get into love. And again, I think we have to be careful about, you know, being too uh, being too binary and thinking it's it's either this or this because I think they actually go together really well. Deuteronomy chapter six, of course, verses four and five. Uh, that's the Shema uh, of Israel. Hear, O Israel. Shema means listen or hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So from the very beginning, Israel was told to both fear God and love God. So they were told to do both. Um, and I believe as as the new Israel, as the people that have been grafted into this family tree, uh, that we should also love God and fear God, and we should be in awe of him, but we should also love him. And so I think love in this sense is very much the way we think of it. It's affection, it's desire, it's longing for. And, he, and, and they are told to love the Lord their God with everything they are, with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, everything that you are, love God with your whole being, desire God, have an affection for God. Um, and I think that those two, those two parts of it have to be kept um, together, mm. that, that we, we love God in a love that, that is desirous, we love God in a love that is affectionate. We love God in a love that is relational. Um, somebody could say, we, we've been comparing fear to driving an automobile. Somebody could say, you know, here's a $100,000 sports car. And somebody could say, do you have a fear of that machine? And they say, yes, I have a healthy fear of this machine or a healthy respect for this machine. And they could say, do you love this machine? And they say, yes, I love my car. I love right. it. It's wonderful. But even that's not relational. Mm. It, that's a different kind of love. That's a love that um, that enjoys, a love that's desirous, but it's right. not a love that's relational. It's not a very deep sense of the word love. Right, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, Worth it's fear. not put into the same category as a father and a child or a husband and a wife. Mm. And this, these are the categories that, that Scripture gives us for 
God's relationship with his covenant people is that it's like a father and a son or like a husband and a wife. And so this love that we have for God has to be relational. It's not the same type of love that you have for an idea, mm. the same type of love that you have for an inanimate object. This type of love is the type of love that you have for a person. Uh, so it is a relational love. Uh, but, but again, I think that we, we could also we could also put that love in the category of like a buddy. And we say, well, yeah, I love my friend. I, my, my friend's great, and I love spending time with him. But we don't have a fear of our buddy. Right. You know, we, don't have, we don't have awe of them. And so it really is, I think, really good to think of it in categories like father and son, father and child. Because a, a father and a child have a relationship, or a child should have a relationship with their father that says, I both love you and fear you. And again, fear not in the sense of like you're afraid of the boogeyman or like you're afraid of a monster or like you're afraid of a tyrant right. who might fly off the handle and, and treat you in a, in a bad way. Right. Uh, not that type of fear. That's not at all what we're talking about. And that sort of fear has no place uh, within a covenant relationship. But th- there should be the type of awe and wonder. I don't think we should ever get to the point where we love God. I, I put air quotes for those who are listening. Um, that we love God in the sense that we just think of him like like a buddy, like, you know, or a genie in a lamp. Like, I love what he can do for me. Like, he's just a means to an end. Right. We, we have to hallow his name, uh, but we also have to love him. And, and, and I think one without the other becomes lopsided. One without the other becomes something distorted. If there's not respect and awe, then, and there's just love, then we we um, act presumptuous with God, and we ah, God will do that for me. God will do that for me. God's God's a pal. God's a buddy. Right. He'll he'll fix this up for me. He'll he'll straighten this out. He'll forgive me. You know that's how God yeah. is. And there's this presumptuousness with which we approach God's throne uh, that needs to to be replaced by awe and wonder and respect and hallowing His name. But again, if it is if it's just like I tremble before him and he's so transcendent and and he, he why would God even look on a, a worm like me? Then we're, we're losing part of the relational aspect of it, the love for it. Um, and that's why that's why I, I like to say that Christian theology begins and ends with Jesus. Christian theology begins and ends with Jesus. And when we have the picture in our minds of Jesus, the real Jesus, the historic Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture. Uh, when we have Jesus in our mind, and we we realize that this is the embodiment of the God of Israel. This is the embodiment of Yahweh. Everything that Yahweh is is embodied in the person, in the human of Jesus. And then we stop and think about what what would that be like to hang out with Jesus. What would that like be like to have a meal with Jesus? And and I yes I am Travis going to bring up our show man yeah um, because yeah. we have to plug the chosen um, and yeah. this is this is why I love that show and if you haven't been watching VidAngels the chosen I I highly recommend it yeah. Travis do you highly recommend it I'm pretty critical of things and I'm I'm a big fan yes I'm a big big fan I've only met one person and I, I will I, I'll say that not everybody I've met has enjoyed it but yeah. I've only I only know one person who has not enjoyed it. But, but I love it because 
this is exactly it. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you take all of the power and all of the majesty and you you embody that with all of the love and all of the affection mm. into one being, into one person, and that's Jesus. Yeah. And and I think the show captures that really well in like here's a person and I just like I'm almost I I've never watched an episode that I haven't cried mm. because I think uh, at the one hand <laughs> See what I cried just thinking about it. Um, no, try com- not to. no comment on okay. my end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, whether whether or not your eyes are leaking or <laughs> there's something dripping in them when when the show goes. But oh yeah. Um, so when I watch that show, I think here's someone that I I'm automatically drawn to. Mm-hmm. This Jesus of Scripture, I'm drawn to him, and I want to be with him. But at the same time, I I also have this like. But I don't want to disappoint him. I don't. I yeah. don't want him to see. I don't want him to see. And then I know he does see me, and I know he sees what I've done. And but he still loves me. And that tension and that paradox, that that both and is is embodied in this Jesus who says, "I see you for exactly who you are. I see everything I love about you, and I see everything that disappoints me about you, and I want it all." I want you to be with me and we're going to work through all of this together. And and that Jesus who draws us in and and makes us love him and adore him and feel desirous to spend time with him and then also at the same time fall before him with trembling knees to say I'm I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to be your disciple. I'm not worthy to be your your follower. That all of that, all of that is encompassed and should be encompassed in our relationship with God. And I think sometimes it gets too lopsided one way or the other. And I think that that sometimes we get to the point where we talk about God as if he's just so transcendent and we talk about him as if he's an idea or a concept. And we talk about him as if he's a theory. We talk about systematic theology. <laughs> and it's like, ah, I mean, yes, I guess we should have systematic theology, but that's not how you talk about a person. That's not how you talk about a relationship. Right. I don't break down my relationship with my wife that way. I, I mean, it, we become so theoretical and so... Um, just I don't know the right word. We 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 become so systematic. Yeah. Uh, we itemize everything. We make everything into a check a checklist and into a list, and and we just break everything down that way. And it's like sometimes we forget that we're talking about a a person. And mm. when I'm talking about the Father, I'm not talking about a human when I say person, but we're talking about a personality. We're talking about someone, not something. God is not right. a thing. He is a he is a he. <laughs> and so so there has to be that love aspect, but then also again, we don't want to lose the awe and the wonder that the one who created the universe spoke into existence every atom and molecule and distant star all of that, all of that wonder, all of that awe, all of that respect, all of that hallowing his name, and all of the love should be wrapped up in our covenant relationship with him so that at the same time, we're drawn to him, and at the same time, we fall on our knees and we say, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, um, and then he picks us up and cleans us off. I mean, all of that is just wrapped up, and I can't, I, I just get so excited about thinking mm. about um, all of that as a package deal. Well, you know, I was thinking, and one of the things about the show I did, I was thinking about is that it makes it real. Yeah. And that, like you said, the importance of considering Jesus 
and uh, by extension, God the Father, as a relationship, uh, like having that added, you know, bonus of getting to watch the show and make it real and uh, have the like now it makes me read scripture differently. I think I know a lot of people have said that about it. And um, one of the things I was I was thinking to go back to the question uh, that Neil asked, he brought up being a father himself. And, you know, I'd rather my children obey me out of love. But if at the end of the day, obedience is 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 the most desired thing. And um, and if it takes fear that, you know, sometimes that's fine. And I think, you know, I was thinking back to being a kid and <laughs> I don't know how many times, I, I don't know if there were times, I, I was trying to break down like what, you know, how, how did I obey? Um, and, and, and now, you know, in my relationship with, with God, how do I obey? It's like, well, when I have childish motivations, it's usually uh, out of fear. <laughs> it's usually fear that keeps me from doing something or keeps me from skipping doing something. Um, it's the fear. And, and I was thinking about it this way. It's, if I do that, that's going to hurt me. <laughs> I'm because I'll get hurt as a consequence mm-hmm. or I won't be able to avoid the consequences of that. But I think love is I'm not going to do that because that'll hurt other people. Mm-hmm. It'll hurt this person, that person. Well, that's not like that's it's not fear. It's like, no, I don't I'm, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't I don't want to hurt those people. I don't want to hurt. And then love for God is, you know, I don't want to disappoint him, like you yeah. said. Yeah. And I think that kind of like for me, that that that's really strikes a chord—the mm-hmm. idea of disappointing God, mm-hmm. because I do remember as a kid getting to the point where I've thought about that. About mm-hmm. man, it's 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 it really hurts to have consequences. You know, you get this mm-hmm. taken away, or but I remember the age when it became a much bigger punishment to have a long talk about what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I feel like that was when I was mature enough to understand that that's way worse. You know, that what you the the heart of what um, disobedience causes is is disappointment. Is you know you you have potential and you could be doing better, and that that really hurts when that's called out. And mm-hmm. that's uh, and and I think in terms of our relationship with Jesus, I think speaking of binary, you you know one of the ways I think that's most common to look at. God in Scripture is to say, well, there's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's Jesus, the hippie, all about love and you know <laughs> everything. You kind of skip over Revelation if you say that, yes, but uh, yeah. but uh, and then there's the Old Testament God that was a judge. But mm-hmm. Jesus, as as said about Revelation, Jesus is a judge. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a judge in uh, in the sense that he's an ideal. I think again to go back to the show. I think that's something that that it captures so well, that he's an ideal. It's like, man, I would really like to have that effect on people and mm-hmm. be that, like, pure. And, <laughs> you know, so it's something that that you want to aim for. Mm-hmm. And an ideal is, in and of itself, I think, a judge because mm-hmm. you know, once you have an ideal, you know when you're disappointing. Yeah. You know when you're not living up to that ideal that you have. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, it's an ideal. So you you love the ideal. You you still uh, you you still want to aim for that. Um, but I think you know we've probably all experienced that feeling of well, I'm so I'm I'm so far away from that ideal, I'll never make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that there's no point in trying. 
um, you know, and, and that's a, that's a real convenient lie for, for Satan to, to, to tell us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that, I think you hit on so many things. In fact, the word perfect, as the Bible uses the word perfect, the idea behind perfect isn't just that you don't make mistakes. It's the idea that, that something has come to its completeness. Something has come to its fruition. Something has come to its fulfillment. Um, and, and this, this really gets to the passage that I want us to look at in first John chapter four, verses 16 through 18, as we wrap up. And John says this, and this may be part of what um, Neil's question uh, revolves around, because John really kind of puts these ideas of love and fear and obedience uh, together and talks about them. And he says in verse 16, 1 John 4, So we have come to know and to believe that to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love, by this is love perfected with us. Love is perfected with us. Love um, reaches its its goal, its intended purpose. It, it's completed in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So when love does its complete work in us, when love is perfected in us, then we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Hmm. So again, this really gets to the heart of, of Neil's question, and I think that we have to take this into account. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I think this is a really good passage for us to, to wrap up on, because, and I think John is being very specific about the sort of fear he's talking about, that he's talking about the sort of fear that has to do with judgment. Mm -hmm. And he says that sort of fear, the fear that has to do with judgment, has no place in love. And if you're still afraid of being punished, then you have not been perfected in love. Love has not done its complete work in you. So when it does, he starts by saying, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has has for us. And when that that love of God has had its full and complete work, not only will we love one another, and that's what John is talking a lot about, but we will also obey God out of love and not out of fear of punishment. So if we are talking about the fear of punishment, then John does set that up as a binary. God, that That's not a false dichotomy. Sure. If it's just about the fear of punishment, and that's all that's motivating you. It's not to say that that you you shouldn't go ahead and do what you what you should do, as you said before. That sometimes we have these immature moments, and I love the way you describe that because our relationship with God. I would like to say that it progresses, and it should progress. And as this this love of God, it's doing its work in us. God's love is doing its work in us, yeah. so that we eventually come to this point of confidence for the day of judgment, and there is no more fear of punishment. There should be this natural progression, mm -hmm. but it's we might also describe our relationship with God as ebbing and flowing mm -hmm. that it's not just, it's not just all steps forward. It's two steps forward and one step back. And it's yeah. always this two steps forward and one step back. And we always have these moments of immaturity and it is better to Neil's point. It is better that we, we go ahead and obey, mm -hmm. even if it is out of a fear of punishment, uh, than it is that we disobey. So if those are our only two options, 
then yes, go ahead and obey. But those aren't our only two options, that we need to be moving towards a relationship with God that no longer has any thought about the day of judgment, that we have complete confidence. And so when I meet Christians, and this is a word of warning, a word of admonishment, and and it's a word that I often speak because I've had family members, including my grandmother, who lived her entire Christian life from the time she was a teenager to the time she was, you know, my grandmother, and and she passed away. As far as I know, her entire life, she had a fear of judgment. Mm. She had a fear of God's judgment, um, and that's not healthy. That that and and it, I I don't blame her for that. I blame the sort of preaching and teaching um, that that we we've had a tendency to do in the church, where we try to keep people faithful by keeping them in a constant state of fearing God's judgment. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that the love of God should move us to a point of obedience that obeys out of love for God. Yes, continue to be in awe of him. Yes, continue to respect him. Yes, continue to hallow his name. Yes, continue to fearing fear disappointing him. But don't fear his judgment. We should have complete confidence about the day of judgment. Complete confidence. I am not afraid of the day of judgment. Well, is it because you're such a good guy? No, it's not because I'm such a good guy. It's not because I'm so mature. It's because I know the love of God. And the love of God has brought me this amount of confidence so that now I can strive to do his will and to love my neighbor as myself and to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength out of a sense of love, out of a motivation of love. If we've gone years as Christians and we're still obeying out of a fear of judgment, Mm. something is wrong. And John says that if anybody is in that state, then the love of God has not been perfected in them. They haven't, they're not mature. And we need to call that out. We need to call out, I think, preaching and teaching that wants to keep Christians in a constant state of fearing God's wrath and fearing fire and brimstone and fearing the day of judgment. Um, yes, there's there's a place for that. And yes, mm-hmm. God, God, you know, that that may be where we begin our journey right. and, and understanding that, that, that when we live in rebellion to God, that yes, God's judgment is coming. And yes, that, that may need to be part of our beginning to come to Christ so that the wrath of God passes over us. But as mature disciples and as maturing disciples, we need to move away from that immature state of fearing the judgment and punishment, fearing punishment. And if we're still obeying out of a fear of punishment, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to end up being a, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not a mature obedience. And, and so it's not a matter of should I obey like this or should I obey like that? It's a matter of understanding what does mature obedience look like. Mm-hmm. Mature obedience looks like the love of God has been perfected in us so that we have a confidence for the day of judgment and and we have this perfect love, this completed love that casts out fear because there is no fear of punishment within a mature state of love. And that is what should motivate our obedience. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Special thanks to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And special thanks to every one of you. We hope that you enjoyed this Bible study and that you'll join us next time. We love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.